Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Good morning to the West Campus. Good morning to Converge. Good morning to the Internet Campus. And good morning to South Campus. South Campus, we love you guys. We are so excited about what God is doing. We just heard uh, here ourselves, and uh, we're just pumped. I've oftentimes thought about defecting from Fort Worth Campus just to go down south Honestly, just so I can hang out with Micah Barnum, um, but I'm, I'm being used here. So we love y'all, we see you, we're praying for you, and we're excited about what God's gonna do. Psalm 40, verses one through three. David says this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I so often can relate to David in Psalm 40. I so often can relate in my life to this idea that I feel like I'm stuck in the muck, in the mire, and I need the Lord to pull me out and put me on the solid foundation. I need the Lord to pull me out of the muck and mire that I am and give me a new song in my mouth, draw me closer to him. I can relate to this um, maybe way too often in my life. Um, this is where we're going this morning. What does it look like to be pulled out of the muck in the mire and draw closer to God? I wanna illustrate it this way. I, um, I moved this past summer. Uh, we moved to a different house, and um, moving is just the worst, uh, but I've got some great friends, and they helped a lot, and so we had multiple trucks, some buddies who've got trucks, and we loaded up a lot of stuff in the beds of their trucks, and I got a big U-Haul, and we, and we just took everything, and we moved it to our new house, and started unloading it in the garage, and, and into our house, and all that stuff, and it was just an exhausting day, right? Just exhausting day of moving, and I'd kinda gotten to the last bed of the pickup truck, my buddy's pickup truck, and we get everything into the house, and I think I'm done, and then we realize, ah, there's one more truck, my dad's truck. My dad's truck was loaded full of uh, yard equipment and tools and things like that, and all that stuff was gonna go in the shed, uh, and the shed is in my backyard, except the shed is up on a hill in my backyard, and so I had already kind of flipped that switch, and I was already kind of thinking, man, I, the end was inside, I thought I was done, I'd forgotten that we had a whole other truck full of tools to unload, so I being the resourceful guy I was, I got an idea. I'll, we got a shortcut here. What we'll do is there's a, there's a dirt alley behind my house, right? There's a dirt alley, and that dirt alley's up on the top of the hill where the shed is. So we'll just have my dad drive around and pull onto the dirt alley, and then that'll be easy. We'll just unload the stuff out of the bed of the truck into the shed, piece of cake, brilliant idea, Ben, patting myself on the back. So sure enough, my dad pulls around, and I walk up the hill to, to meet him up there to unload it, and I watch as my dad pulls his truck off of the paved road onto uh, the dirt alley behind my house, and as he does that, I realize I have not directed my dad to a dirt alley. I have directed my dad to a mud alley. And I watch as all four of his wheels go into what is just wet clay, Right, he just pulls off and, it's just, and, he, and then I watch his wheels spin and he goes nowhere. And I realize my shortcut has now become a total disaster. Um, so I rally some people and we do what we do whenever you get stuck in the mud. And we get behind the truck and we get another truck to pull him from the front and me and my buddies, we lean in, right? We, we get up to the bed of the truck and we rock it a little bit and just in ankle deep mud, we rock and lean and lean and lean and push and push until finally that truck gets free 
And we think, you know what, we'll just, we'll just carry the tools up the hill. That feeling of being stuck in the mud is something that I think if we're honest, if we stop and we're still, I think we can all relate to. We can all relate to this idea of feeling spiritually stuck. Are you where you want to be in your walk with Christ? This morning, are you where you want to be? Are you fully content with where you are? Or are there places in your life and in your heart and in your soul where you feel like you're spinning your wheels but you don't feel closer to God? Is there room to grow, to shake out of some of that mud? Uh, I think there is. For me, there absolutely is. There absolutely is in my life. I want to live a life. I want to live a life where I can look back at the result of my life and not just have lived a good life, but lived a life that was connected to Christ. Lived a life that was connected to Christ. And not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a sinner who is adopted by a heavenly father, who is fully forgiven, And I want to live my life where I can look back and say, I was connected to my heavenly father in my life. I'm not always there. I get stuck, church. I get stuck. The chasm between the man that I want to be so often and the man who gets so easily distracted by the world or my own flesh or whatever it is, that chasm at times seems like just this mud that my wheels keep spinning and I keep thinking, I just wanna get closer to the Lord in this season and it just feels like my wheels are spinning. Then last week, Cody starts this sermon series. Uh, This idea of inertia, that we are moved from an outside force, that we need to be moved by an outside force. We need to be pushed and moved to be able to be closer to God. That's where we're gonna go this week. Where we're gonna go this week is in examining the tool that I believe God gave us biblically to how we move closer to him. It's a, a tool that if we lean into it as a part of the design that God has created, it will help us connect to him because the reality is we are designed to be connected to God. The reality is in, when we are not connected, there will be a chasm there, but we are designed to be connected. And so we will lean into this tool of how do we get there? How do we get there? When we feel this distance and this spiritual stagnancy, it's an indication that maybe we're not as connected as we'd like to be. We hit the accelerator. We do the things we think we're supposed to do, but it just feels like our wheels are spinning, disconnected. Let me clarify. What I'm not saying is that um, when we don't feel connected that we're not saved. I'm not saying that. If that was the case, then David, who feels far from the Lord and feels close to the Lord and feels far from the Lord all throughout the Psalms, then then he would have a, a major theological crisis. I'm not saying that when we don't feel connected, we're not saved. What I am saying is that when we don't feel connected, we are not taking advantage of the relationship which we have through grace. We are not in the means that God has given us to experience his life. We aren't taking advantage of that. We see what a fruit of that connection is. In Galatians 5, we see this fruit of being connected to the Spirit. And it's love, and it's joy, and it's peace, and it's patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. We see these things, and we realize we are designed to be connected. And when we're not, it doesn't mean we're not saved. It means that we're not experiencing the salvation, that if you are saved, if you have put your faith in Christ, You're not experiencing the fullness of what that relationship should be. John 15, four. Jesus says says this. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot, cannot 
bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Uh, Greg, a couple of weeks ago, unpacked uh, John 15. Um, Greg Cook in a really, I think, incredible way. If you wanna go back and really zoom into what it looks like to abide in John 15, I'd, I'd recommend you listen to the sermon a couple of weeks ago. But here, even in just this verse, we see if we're not connected, if we're not connected to God, then we're not going to bear fruit. No real spiritual fruit is gonna come out of us. Where's the peace in our life? Where's the joy in our life? So we must be connected, but how? How do we do that? How do we, if we're designed for it, we want to be connected, how do we do it to get out of the mud? Here's how we do it. Here's the tool that God gives us. We connect to God when we lean in to Christian community. As believers, we will connect to God as we lean into the Christian community that God has designed for that for that very purpose. Let me first define Christian community for you. Um, here at, uh, at, at Christ Chapel, we've got um, lots of home groups, right? David Green is our Connect pastor, incredible man. We've got over 300 home groups. Uh, and I was talking to him about what it looks like, what, a, what, what being connected really looks like in biblical community. And one of the ways we define it here, and, and he talked about, was it's living out, it's biblically in community with other believers, living out the one another's. There's multiple verses in scripture about loving one another, caring for one another, all these one another verses. Uh, it's a, we can do a whole 10-week series on the one another's. I put them on the back of your sermon notes. I'd encourage you, spend some time this week, get in a community of other people walking through the one another's. What it looks like to love one another and, and forgive one another, be patient with one another. All of these things are what define what biblical community is supposed to be. Christian community is the gathering and connecting of God's people. And the depth of that community is going to depend on our consistency, on our honesty, integrity, vulnerability within that gathering. There's, um, there's all kinds of ways that community has impacted my life, um, whether it has been um, walking with men who, who know me and know what I struggle with, having breakfast on a regular basis with, with other men who can speak into my life who love me enough to speak into my life, who can encourage me and challenge me and be there when it's hard and be there when, when it's time to celebrate. We hear stories here at the church all the time about how home groups have rallied around um, men and women who have lost family members, who have lost jobs, who are in seasons of immense grieving. Um, with kids sick, we see the body of Christ in these home groups rally together. My wife is in a women in the word table that she loves. She loves those women. They gather around and open up God's word and hear God's word and share what they're struggling with and weep and pray for each other and celebrate the good things. There's a group of men who at every campus gather, at some point in the week at every single campus, a group of men gather, sit under biblical teaching and sit around a table unpacking what God has done and sharing their life together in community. And we hear story after story after story of when that starts happening and when people step into those communities vulnerably, what God does and how it becomes a catalyst for growth. So great, great. Let's say you're here and you think, okay, of course, great, Christian community is good. We get that. That's not new, that's not novel. We nod our head to the idea that yes, Christian community is a good thing, it's a value, but Ben, I don't feel close to God. I get that getting in a home group's great or getting in, 
men's ministry or women's ministry is great or finding some accountability partners is great, but I just, I feel so distant from God first. If that's you, what if community is tied to your relationship with God? What if the very idea of your stagnant, stuck-in-the-mud situation with your walk with God is tied to this idea that there is a lacking of depth of community that you're not experiencing, that God has designed for you to experience? Look at this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. This is what John says. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His son cleanses us from all sin. That passage is an unbelievably important truth to understand this beautiful connection between the idea of our community horizontally with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ in this biblical community he's designed and this community we're supposed to have vertically with God our Father. John says, if we walk in the light And we know from the context of 1 John chapter 1 that this walking in the light is this idea of confession and vulnerability, that we're walking honestly with other believers. And as we're walking in the light, look at these two simultaneous things that seem to happen. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. So in walking in community, in vulnerable confession the way God has designed us to be, in being known and knowing others, We experience this fellowship the way God has designed it to work, not just horizontally, but also we get to experience the result of our salvation, which is through grace, by this Christian fellowship that he's designed. The vertical and the horizontal, God seems to intertwine throughout Scripture. And it's it's so important to see that connection. God has, for some reason, designed this connection to, to us to be intrinsically linked with our connection uh, with others, with other believers. If we say, if we say, well, we're gonna, we're gonna try to connect to Christ without Christian community, I believe we deceive ourselves. I believe we're deceiving ourselves if we think we can connect fully to Christ without being invested and involved and known in Christian biblical community. I heard it said, there's two things you can't do by yourself. One is get married and the other is live the Christian life. The Christian life is a team sport. It's not designed to be done solo. But when we connect, when we connect with each other, then what happens in this design is we experience God's blessing. We connect to Christian community, and when that happens, we experience God's blessing. Um, I, um, it was during the summer, I I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and one of, uh, one of the things for me as a dad, one of my roles is to try to constantly um, help my boys think I'm really cool, uh, and I'm failing miserably at it, uh, even with a six and a three-year-old. But uh, during the summer, we, I, we were at a house, and there was a, a porch, and then like a shrub next to the porch, and you walk down a few steps, and the porch was maybe three, three and a half feet off the ground. And my boys had walked off the steps, and they were walking around, and it was one of those insecure dad moments where I thought, oh, I'm gonna impress my boys. My six-year-old's gonna think I'm the coolest guy ever. I'm gonna jump over this shrub and it's gonna blow my six-year-old's mind. He's gonna get a tattoo of me one day and it's gonna be incredible. This is, this is really gonna wow him. And so sure enough, you know, they walk around and I'm like, I'm gonna jump over this bush. I jump over the bush 
and my foot lands one direction and my body lands going the other direction and my knee was like, nope. And my knee did something that knees aren't supposed to do, right? Like it bent in a way that like knees aren't supposed to bend. And I shook it off and pretended I was cool, but I was crying inside. My body, my knee wasn't supposed to do that, right? And my knee is still ticked at me. It still ticked at me and that was last summer um, because my body wasn't supposed to function in that way. And me trying to show off, I, I just did something out of place. We're called to be this body of Christ together. We're called to have this fellowship together, to be connected together. Uh, look at what Paul says in Romans 12, four and five. It's on your notes. He says, for as in one body, look at him define Christian community. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. There's a design for how we're supposed to fit together as a body of Christ, selflessly. Those one another's, as they start to define how we love each other and serve each other, we're supposed to function in a certain way, and in doing that, it will produce blessings. When we don't do that, we're gonna knock things out of place. We're gonna get knocked out of place. The body of Christ, there's all these incredible blessings, right? Restoring and stimulating our communion with God, right, is, is one we've already seen. But also, sanctifying me, keeping me in line so I don't live in ways that I'm not supposed to, so my knees don't buckle because I'm doing something that I wasn't called to do and I need other believers around me to help keep those ligaments of my soul that's prone to wander in line. But here's another one, here's another one, and I love this one. One of the effects, one of the blessings of biblical community is, is the Christian community is, I think, one of the most evangelistic, compelling witnesses of the glory of God. I've, I've been doing full-time ministry for a good chunk of time, and um, I don't, um, I, I sit across a lot of times from individuals who have questions about their faith, right? And good questions about their faith, questions that we should ask. And I feel like over time, I've developed a pretty good Rolodex of pretty good, thoughtful answers for those things through seminary and through experience. I've got, okay, I've got some good answers and some good encouragement to people one-on-one when I'm talking to them to encourage them in their walk. There is nothing, my sitting down one-on-one with somebody just does not compare to what happens when someone who doesn't know Christ walks into a healthy, gospel-centered community. I see it all the time. We have an entire young adult gathering on Wednesday night that's just designed to be an on-ramp to get plugged into community so that someone can walk in and say, okay, it's not just, oh, Ben had some good answers and Ben read a couple of books that were helpful to to give me some clarity on issues. No, it's walk in and see a whole bunch of totally different people, totally different backgrounds, totally different life experiences, but there's something connected to all of them. There's the spirit in all of them, the way they love one another, the way they serve one another. It's this amazing apologetic time and time and time again And the body of Christ isn't about even just us and keeping me in line so that I can connect. It's about God's glory. It's this blessing within how God has designed community to be. And there is nothing I've seen more powerful than someone walking in to that. Because all of a sudden, it's not just about a personality or one person who's got some good answers. It's about a God who's working in an entire community. 
and we miss out on that. And our world misses out on that when we don't take advantage of those opportunities. There is a need for each other that God has built in us. It is there in the garden when God said it is not good for man to be alone. It is there in the New Testament when he says, don't forget to continue to gather. It is all throughout scripture. But our tendency is isolation. Our tendency is isolation, not what we should be doing, which is gathering and serving and sacrificing for each other. Now, let me, let me say real quick, this is not about being an introvert or being an extrovert. Right? The idea of community is not something that's about being an introvert or being an extrovert. We know Jesus, uh, Jesus modeled perfect community. He had uh, men close to him. He had women close to him. He had a community that really knew him. He had a larger crowd that he also taught and was vulnerable in certain ways with and so on and so forth. He was around crowds and around small gatherings constantly, but also we saw Jesus pull away because that was obedient, that was wise, and he would pull away from the crowds and go and sit, be still before the Lord as a command also. So this isn't just about We've got to be around people constantly. I know a lot of extroverts who have a million friends and they are not known. This isn't about how many friends we have or how social we are. When I talk about isolation and community, this is about finding people who know us and will walk with us, which is a part of the command that we've been given. There's these effects of isolation and I'm gonna move pretty quickly through these because I wanna leave plenty of time to answer the question of how do we how do we get out of it? But there's these effects that I think we've seen in our life of isolation. Self-deception happens when we isolate. Uh, Hebrews 3.13, the author of Hebrews says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right, there, there's self-deception. If I'm isolated by myself, then I can't see my sin properly. Scripture says that I need to exhort one another. I need to be exhorted, I need to exhort others because there is a deceitfulness of sin that is hardening my heart that I don't see happening. You don't see it happening. When you are isolated, there is a self-deception. Sin does not want to be known, it wants to sneak in there. And then that leads to self-deception, leads to selfishness. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. What happens is we isolate and then we, we, we start to be self-deceiving ourselves and what our own sin is and we don't really see it clearly and there's nobody holding up a mirror lovingly to those things and then we are stuck in our selfishness. Um, my marriage, I love my wife. She's incredible. My marriage has revealed selfishness in me that I didn't know was there. And it wasn't that my marriage made me selfish. I was already that way. It was that all of a sudden I got married and I had this sweet, incredible partner in life all of a sudden who could reveal some of that. And by the grace of God, I have a wife who's really kind in how she reveals that because I'm also stubborn at times and don't want to receive it. But man, marriage and being in that level of intimacy and that level of community, all of a sudden I start to see selfishness that is ugly and not pleasing to God and is not loving one another the way I'm called to, and then that stunts our growth. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. If we're isolated, we're gonna be dulled. We're gonna dull ourselves. We're not gonna be sharpened. We're not gonna be challenged. No one's gonna be pushing us to grow more like Christ, and then when that happens and when we're, when we're dull and not sharpened, it makes us vulnerable and easy to be defeated. We're easily defeated. Ecclesiastes 4, 
And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This idea that, man, in community, there's strength there because we're supporting each other and walking with each other. I, um, I spend a lot of time with young adults that are just getting whooped, just getting whooped by sin and addiction and depression and anxiety, and they're alone, and they're alone getting whooped, and they want to break out of those things, but man, they're trying to do it on their own, and they're trying to just get the right answers and grit their teeth and do it, but they're just getting whooped because they're isolated, and that's not what God has designed for us, and so then it's easy to be taken down And then we see this lonely burden of carrying our sin, right? We carry alone this burden of sin. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we're isolated, we don't do that. When we're isolated, we'll be vulnerable, we'll be defeated. Just find ourselves carrying the weight of our mistakes on our own. Are you tired of that yet? Are you tired of that yet? Isolation. Not just, not just being without friends, right? Some of the loneliest people I know have lots of friends. But, but not being known. No one knowing you. You not knowing other people in the way that we're called to be. Knowing what you struggle with. Knowing where you need encouragement. Knowing how to spur you on. Are you tired of carrying that yourself? feeling disconnected, not knowing really why you feel disconnected, experiencing the effects of sin, but not really sure where it's coming from. You're just experiencing these effects. Connect to the body of Christ the way you're designed to. Connect to the body of Christ the way you're designed to. But what holds us back? What holds us back if we see that we're designed to be connected to God? And we know that, and that's maybe intuitive for a lot of us. But then we see in 1 John, now wait a second, to be connected to God is to be connected with others. Those are synonymous concepts. And we see how dangerous it is to not be connected to others. Then we say, okay, great, then I want to lean into community. But how do I do that? Because it is not easy to do. What holds us back? We lean in by prioritizing community. I'm going to give you three things, real practical and pray that God just continues to do this work. These were honestly all super convicting for me um, as I prepped for this the last couple of weeks. But we lean in by prioritizing community. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Pay attention to verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We lean in when we prioritize community. Now, I don't think we deprioritize community because of bad theology. I think we deprioritize community because we don't value it enough. During Thanksgiving break, I lost my keys. I just misplaced them somewhere. I don't know what happened. It's kind of a, you know, everything had kind of shut down and I, you know, I was playing with the boys and I just don't remember where I put them. Um, But luckily my parents were out of town for like a week And so it was weird, and I couldn't find him one day. I was like, I'm just going to borrow my parents' car while they're gone for the week. And that kind of gives me a week to find him. No big deal. They'll turn up. And so I'm kind of piddling around, and I'm kind of looking for him. I'm asking Danielle, do you know where they are? Have you seen them? And I'm asking the boys, guys, did y'all hide them? And I just can't really find him. And the week is starting to wrap to an end, right? And it gets to Friday, and my parents come back on Monday, and I'm really like, okay, I'm a grown man. I need my own car. I can't find my keys. (sighs) I realize I'm going to have to call a locksmith. 
I'm gonna have to call a locksmith and pay 50 bucks for him to come and give me a new key. And I'm thinking, man, what a bummer. And so uh, on Friday, I call him to set up, set up an appointment for him to come the next Monday so I can get my parents' car back. Call him, disappointed, man, here goes 50 bucks. He quotes me $350 for my key. My car's 17 years old, right? Like I didn't, like 300, I'm a pastor. That is two months of salary, right? My kid's college tuition is gone completely. All of a sudden, I realize my keys that I thought, man, this is gonna cost me 50 bucks, I'm kinda looking for them. I now realize it's sevenfold that value, right? And so I'm checking ice cube trays and I'm flipping over couch cushions. I now have an entire weekend to just turn the house over so I can cancel on this locksmith. Because what happened? What happened is the value. I realized the value of my key that I was kind of looking for and just scratching my head about. No, no, that's not 50, that's 350 bucks. All of a sudden the value changed and because the value changed, I prioritized my search drastically differently. I don't think we deprioritize community because we don't have good theology, church. I think we deprioritize community because we don't see we don't realize the value. We don't realize what we're missing out on. What we're missing, we don't realize the impact that that is. And I think some of us are gonna stand at the edge of eternity and look back and say, man, man, I would have liked to be more a part of some of that. By God's grace, this isn't about our salvation, but it's about our benefit and his design to flourish us and to flourish his glory. So all of a sudden, as we start to realize his value, then maybe all of a sudden what it means is our kids' sports and extracurriculars, not that those aren't important because they are and they're important for their development, but all of a sudden, the extracurriculars and the sports that my kids do that seem to fill up all of the margins of our life, maybe that goes down one notch. Maybe how I approach work or how you approach work and your work rhythm, maybe it adjusts to where you say, you know what, maybe there's a morning where I can go sit at a table full of men and be known and know them and study the word of God or sit at a table full of women or one evening where I can get in a home group and start to experience this biblical community that I'm missing out on. All of a sudden, as we realize the value, our priorities start to shift. We lean into prioritizing to push us out of the mud and we lean into transparency in community also to push us out of the mud. We lean in when we are transparent in community. That's, that's one of the things we have to start doing. Transparency is when we allow other people to know us. Transparency is when we stop wearing the mask and we are good at wearing masks. I am good at wearing masks. I'm good at faking it. I'm good at just being what, I'm, what I know I'm supposed to be, projecting what I'm supposed to be, our wheels are gonna stay in the mud until we lean in by being more transparent in community and in relationship with other people. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says this. Don't miss this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This Verse is so counterintuitive to everything I'm raised to try to do and work myself up the ladder. Right? What this says all of a sudden is that because of the gospel, I now don't boast in my own strength, I boast in my weakness. All of a sudden, my boast is in my weakness, what I'm poor at, 
where I'm weak, because in boasting in my weakness, what it does is it no longer makes it about me and my glory, but it gets in line with the gospel that says I'm dead to myself, and my life is now Christ's, and it's now in Christ. And I get in line with that, and I say, hey, I am weak, but who he is in me, that's what I'll boast in. These are the areas that I struggle. These are the things that tempt me. These are the things that discourage me. These are the things I get distracted with. These are the things that I, I am prone to worship other than who he is, but his goodness and his faithfulness and his work in me. And when we boast in our weakness, it's glorifying to God because we can boast in our weakness. I can have that security because his grace is sufficient because he doesn't just take up the slack for where I don't measure up. I'm dead in my sins. He doesn't just take up the slack, he bridges the entire chasm. We walk in transparency. Walking in transparency is an is a exercise to boast in our weakness. And, and there's obviously discernment here. There's discernment of what this looks like. It doesn't necessarily look like, let me get on social media and put all of the things I struggle with. It looks like discernment in your life. Who are people who know you and can know you, and that you can come and say, this is where I'm at, this is who I am, this is what I struggle with, these are the areas that I need to be spurred on. Uh, and let me encourage you here as well, because half of you will be people who are hopefully, Lord willing, obedient to be vulnerable, and to say, man, here's, here's where I'm coming up short, will you pray for me, will you walk with me, will you encourage me? About half of you will be there, and the other half will be someone who is receiving that, and you're gonna wear different hats and hopefully in different seasons and different conversations and relationships. But to those of you who are receiving that, to those of you who hear this, and you're gonna be on the receiving end of somebody vulnerably coming to you, taking down the mask saying, man, this is my weakness. Look at my weakness so that we can apply God's grace, which is sufficient to it. When, when you are in that seat and you're receiving that, my hope and prayer and challenge would be that you are mature enough to receive that. And when I say you are mature enough to receive that, what I hope you hear is that you look enough like Jesus to receive that. And when I say you look enough like Jesus to receive that, what I hope you hear is that you've experienced God's grace and that you are then reflecting God's grace. Because the gospel is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we get to be again as the body of Christ, people who make much of the gospel of grace by meeting other people where they're at, hating sin, taking sin seriously, but meeting them where they're at and applying a grace that is sufficient. The last, the last way that we lean in to this community is we lean in when we resolve to have grit in community. When we resolve to have grit in community, and grit is this idea of perseverance, right? If someone's got grit, they've got perseverance and they keep pushing through and keep, when it's hard, when it's awkward, so often, it's not just about, well, we don't prioritize it well. Uh, so often, it's not just about, I'm not willing to be vulnerable. So often, it's just because we don't have grit. And when it gets awkward and when it gets hard, and maybe when we just don't click with people, ah, I just don't really click with this table, and I don't really, then we, we can so often just go back to isolating because it's hard and we didn't have grit through that. Look, look at this last verse I want to show you. This last verse is Luke 6.35. Jesus says, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
to our enemies. We should lend even when we're not getting. So often in Christian community, we feel like, man, I'm doing all the work. This is awkward. There's nothing I can get from this person. We're to love our enemies in this way. I'm not even talking. This sermon isn't even about enemies. This sermon is about our Christian community and loving our Christian community. So how convicting is it that I'm even supposed to love my enemies in that way? And yet the conviction for me has been, I don't even know if I love other believers that way at times. I get done with, well, no, man, I've already done enough for that person and it's one-sided and I'm just gonna brush my hands of them. It's awkward, it's hard. Christian community is hard. The point of this sermon is not that it's easy. The point of what we see in God's word and his design is not that it's not hard, but that it's worth it. That it's worth it. So take those steps Talk about grit, there is low hanging fruit. You can literally scan a QR code and get in a home group. You can walk into Band of Brothers, walk into Women of the Word and sit down at a table with other women and other men who wanna grow in Christ and fight through, have the grit to fight through hard conversations because you've prioritized it and be transparent because it's not about us. It's about his grace working through us. You're stuck, you want more, you need inertia, Use the design God has for you and lean into community. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and we love you for how you love us. We're so grateful for how you love us. Um, God, would you continue this work that only you can do? Uh, Would you continue to shape us into the community that you desire? And God, would you give us the boldness and the faith to see the value of your community and and how you work um, in a real and powerful way? Uh, Lord, thank you. Do what only you could do through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.